Well, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whatever time it is, wherever you are tuning in. Thank you so much for joining me today uh, for this very special offering. My name is Chris Luard, and I've uh, been doing a series on uh, compassion. Uh, I'm a meditation teacher. I've been teaching uh, since 2009. Uh, and my current project is uh, running through uh, the four immeasurable minds, uh, which are loving kindness, compassion, joy, and equanimity, uh, as outlined in the uh, Buddhist tradition. But these practices are accessible to people from any faith, all faiths, no faiths, all walks of life. It's one of the reasons why I really find them uh, so appealing is that they can be uh, adapted to any culture, any worldview. So welcome, welcome. Uh, on that note, I'd like to make a couple of announcements before uh, we jump into the actual talk today. Uh, I am offering an online meditation retreat. This is a retreat into compassion. In fact, the name is Kuan Yin. Kuan Yin is the Bodhisattva of Compassion, again, from the Buddhist tradition. Uh, so Kuan Yin, a retreat into compassion. This is all offered online. It's for eight weeks. And it launches a week from now, actually. We'll be doing the, the first uh, session. So March 21st to May 13th in uh, the States or Canada. If you're here in Asia, Australia, New Zealand, that would be uh, the morning of the, of the 22nd, March 22nd to May 14th. So adjust your times accordingly. Uh, the sessions, if you're in the States again, Sundays and Thursday evenings at 9 p.m. Now the sessions run anywhere from 90 minutes to two hours long. Of course, if we're running longer, I, I like to take a break there in the middle and give everyone a chance to stretch and rest. The sessions are done over Zoom, and so they're very interactive. I like to try to keep the uh, modules rather small, uh, 10 to 12 people, so they are actually filling up. I think there's only one or two spaces left. Now, if I do open a waiting list, I probably will open a second module. Uh, so if you're interested in uh, the retreat, but you can't do that time or day of the week, uh, do uh, send me a message and let me know what times work for you or uh, alternatively all of the sessions are going to be recorded and made available so if you'd rather do the sessions uh, on your own time that's fine in fact a part of the retreat is that I will be offering one-to-one uh, -one sessions uh, two one-to-one -one sessions for all of the retreat participants and this is a really uh, great way for the people who are doing the retreat on their own time uh, to touch base with me. Uh, I can see if there are any um, imbalances that might be arising as a result of the practice. I can kind of, you know, uh, help guide, if you will, even if we're not connecting uh, through the live Zoom sessions. I'll be there as a facilitator for you uh, at least twice over the eight-week sessions. And then you're always welcome to uh, email questions or send them in over Messenger, and I try to get to those as quickly as possible. So again, if you find the dates or times prohibitive, uh, don't let that stop you from signing up for the retreat. Uh, for more information about registration and so forth, 
uh, please visit my website www.suchsweetthunder.org. The second announcement is that I am currently accepting applications for one-to-one -one students. So if you already have a meditation practice but you feel like you might need some guidance in that practice, uh, that would be um, appropriate for you to register. Also, if you're new to meditation, you really would like to get started. Uh, I really welcome beginners. I enjoy that, uh, that type of uh, relationship. It allows me to really uh, foster that beginner's mind, which is a lot of fun for me and usually a lot of fun for the student as well. Now, I often get the question, why should I sign up for one-to-one -one sessions uh, with you or with anyone? There's so much available now with apps and on YouTube and books. Why do I need a teacher? It's a very good question. And fair enough, you can these days with the technology kind of strike out on the path on your own. And that can take you uh, a certain distance. But like learning any skill, whether it's a musical instrument or a language, meditation is very similar in that way, that it really helps to have a teacher, a guide, somebody who's gone through the process uh, to help you along the way to, again, correct any imbalances that might have arisen or really address any concerns or questions that might come up. Uh, meditation can often does actually bring up uh, unexpected emotional experiences or unfamiliar uh, bodily sensations at times. And a good teacher can address that, those and, and really inform you about what that is and how that might uh, play into your practice going forward. So just a few examples of one of the many, many benefits of the student-teacher relationship. Again, for more details about the one-to-one -one, uh, registration, do go visit the website and click on the online studies page. And again, that will give you all of the information you need to get started with the one-to-one -one sessions. Okay, that's all the announcements. So I would like to open this session with a brief guided meditation. And today will be a guided meditation, just you know, briefly coming into the present moment and we'll bring up an experience of gratitude. And the reason why I like to open these sessions with gratitude is it, it really uh, facilitates the heart opening. You may have noticed that already if you've been with me before. It kind of softens the heart a little bit and it actually allows one to hear the teachings in a deeper way. So it's kind of a, a great practice to set the table with and you can actually experiment with this on your own if you're a student in other settings. Perhaps you're in college or, or you're studying online other topics, you know, see what it feels like to, before that study session, uh, do a practice of gratitude for maybe five or ten minutes and then go into the, into the study session. Even if you're studying something completely unrelated like law or, you know, whatever it is, cooking, uh, do a practice of gratitude for five to ten minutes and then see how your relationship with that course changes over, over days or weeks or months. Uh, you might notice something quite profound there. Okay.
So again, these opening meditations are completely optional. If you wish to, you know, get up, get a drink, stretch, and then come back, uh, this will probably be about seven to 10 minutes long. Uh, and so you're welcome to opt out if you wish, or do your own practice, follow your breath, whatever your own meditation is. Uh, this could be a good time for that as well if you have a practice to just check in with that practice for a few minutes. But I welcome you to follow the guiding uh, as well. So the invitation is now to bring your attention and awareness to the here and now, into the present moment. And there are numerous ways of contact in the present moment, and we'll just go through a few now. Different anchors you may wish to use for your awareness and attention, such as the breath, perhaps Noticing the sensations of the breath entering and leaving the nose. You might feel the breath at the back of the throat, perhaps just noticing the temperature changing from cooler to warmer at the nose and the back of the throat. Or perhaps noticing the rib cage expanding and contracting as you inhale and exhale. the rising and falling of the abdomen with each breath. And while noticing the abdomen, you might wish to invite the muscles in the abdomen to relax and rest. We often hold tension or stress in the muscles of the abdomen. So while resting attention there, the invitation is just to allow any tension or stress in the abdomen to go, to soften around those muscles. You might notice the back moving out as you breathe in and in as you breathe out. Or perhaps noticing the shoulders rising and falling with each breath. Perhaps noticing how the body might be straightening up slightly as you inhale and leaning forward slightly as you exhale. And so while resting here with the breath, you might notice that the breath feels rather inaccessible. Sometimes the breath can feel rather faint or not so accessible, so we also have the option of anchoring awareness in the sensations of the body. And so the invitation is now to bring attention to any sensations which might be arising from the feet. This might be sensations of the feet against a carpet or floor or perhaps socks against the skin of the feet. Inviting the muscles in the feet to grow soft, rest. 
You might notice sensations of clothing against the legs, inviting the muscles in the legs to relax and unwind. Perhaps noticing the weight of the body against the cushion or chair, mat or floor. Inviting the muscles underneath those sensations to rest. There might be sensations of clothing against the back. Inviting the muscles in the back to rest, grow soft. Perhaps noticing the hands resting against the body or touching each other. The arms resting against the body. Inviting the hands and arms to unwind and grow soft. Perhaps noticing sensations of clothing against the shoulders inviting the muscles in the shoulders to rest. You might also notice sensations arising throughout the back of the neck, the sides of the neck, inviting the muscles in the neck to relax and rest. Noticing any sensations arising throughout the cheeks of the face, inviting the muscles in the face to relax, letting any tension or stress that's held in the face go. And noticing any sensations arising from the top of the head, the very crown of the head. There might be days or times where the breath and the body feel rather inaccessible. And that's fine, nothing wrong with that. So if you notice that, you might want to use the sounds of the present moment as a way of anchoring awareness and attention to the here and now. So the invitation is now to turn attention to any sound which might be available in your environment. You don't need to focus on any one sound in particular. You might want to rest with the entire field of sound, hearing all of the sounds all at the same time, as if you were listening to the universe orchestrate the soundtrack of the present moment experience. And so we'll rest right here for a few breaths, maintaining awareness in the present moment. Sensations of the breath and or body and or sound. And just rest.
And while resting here in this present moment experience, the invitation is now to call into awareness some experience that you feel grateful for. This can be something very simple like a morning cup of coffee or the beauty of a sunset, the softness of the pet cat or dog, the companionship and smile of a good friend. You might simply feel grateful for having a healthy body and mind for which you can relax into and meditate with. Just feel into the experience of gratitude itself. What does this gratitude feel like in the body? What's the physical sense experience of this gratitude? There might be an opening around the heart or perhaps a warmth. Might just be an overall sense of goodness throughout the body. And while resting here in this experience of gratitude, if it feels accessible. The invitation is now to amplify this experience of gratitude as if we were turning up the volume on our favorite song on the radio. You might feel this as gratitude pouring through you, really soaking your bones, allowing this physical sense of gratitude to really expand through the body, from the bones, the tendons and muscles, the veins and arteries. Allowing this gratitude to really shimmer out through the surface of the skin in all directions. There's no wrong or right way to feel gratitude. And so if it feels just a slight shimmer, that's fine. Or if it's quite present throughout the body, that's good too. However this arises for you. And in the next breath or two, we'll begin to pivot back into our conversational space. And I'll cue that by ringing the bell three times. Sometimes the sound of the bell can act as an extra amplifier for the physical sensations of gratitude. So you might want to explore that as well. In any case, I'll ring the bell.
Well, thank you so much for your energy in that practice, for your time. And if you are watching this back on recording uh, and you'd like to explore deeper that experience of gratitude, uh, now would be a great time to press pause on the recording and you can sit in that field of gratitude for as long as you wish. Uh, and then you're welcome to come back when you're ready. Now, if you're here with me live, thank you so much for being here. I really do appreciate that. And now we're going to move into the question and answer portion, uh, the real presentation portion of today's uh, offering on compassion. So I got a, an abundance of questions, and thank you so much for mailing those in. Uh, if you do want to send in some other questions, or if I don't get to yours, you can resend the question. Hopefully these will answer some questions that I didn't get to as well. But uh, feel free to, to message questions in, and I'll try to get to those um, you know, at some point in the series. If not in this series, this series ends at the end of this week. Uh, but if not in this series, there'll be another one uh, starting at the end of May. Uh, so I might get to it then as well. Okay, so the first question I got, uh, love this question. Uh, what is the difference between loving kindness, compassion, and empathy? The questioner goes on to say, I hear these terms used independently, and I'm wondering if you could just speak to the distinguishing characteristics between the three of these uh, components or emotional qualities. Great question. So first I'll really tackle the, uh, the difference between loving kindness and compassion. So loving kindness is the wish that we be happy and everyone else be happy. And I, I just I include us in that. So it's really the wish that the world be happy. That's the idea behind loving kindness. The, the, um, a type of happiness beyond circumstance. So we really wish for that for, for everyone. And in that wish, in the, the way the practice unfolds, is that as we wish happiness for ourselves for loved ones, for strangers, for people we have challenges with, and eventually for the entire world, uh, we notice how we're resisting that, and we notice how we're holding back in ways. And in that noticing, because at the same time as that noticing, we're actually cultivating that wish in a deeper way, in a stronger way, as the practices mature, uh, we start we start to notice that we don't need to resist that any longer. We start to notice how we don't need to hold back loving kindness. Uh, and so that those resistances uh, slowly start to crumble and we start to be more available uh, for our loving kindness for ourselves, and then sharing that with the rest of the world. Compassion, it's quite similar actually. It is very much related to the practices of loving kindness. But the, really the distinguishing mark of compassion is the wish that we be free from suffering and how all beings be free from suffering. And I don't know about you as you're listening, but for me when I'm just mentioning that, 
you know, talking about loving kindness and then mentioning compassion and how it's that wish, that desire that we're all free from suffering, it really changes the tone, right? You might be able to feel that. And so what a great way to experience this for yourself is just to say to yourself, may I be, may I know happiness and the causes of happiness. And just sit in that for a moment. May I know happiness and the causes of happiness. And then, may I be free from suffering and the causes of suffering. And it's almost like the song goes from a major key to a minor key there. It's kind of a different quality to it. And so there I'm just kind of pointing out the, the visceral experience between loving kindness and compassion. And so I'm going to try to steer the conversation here into the topic of compassion, comparing compassion with empathy. So compassion is really, when we practice compassion, when we do these meditations uh, in regards to compassion, we're ideally cultivating a skill, a capacity for being in the presence of other people's pain and suffering. Because that's one of the major ways that uh, people heal, right? You might draw back on your own experience, perhaps a difficult time in your life, when you were able to share that, that suffering with a good friend or a family member or even a cat or a dog, right? Just having a being there holding space for you in that struggle is so very healing, right? And so the practices of compassion are designed for us to, to be able to hold space for others in their struggle, in their suffering, in their pain, without falling into our own reactive patterns. And so just an example of that, and there are many, many reactive patterns that one can fall into. But just a simple example of that is when you see somebody struggling in their life, uh, a very common reactive pattern is to try to fix that person's struggle for them. And this could be very simple, like watching somebody uh, try to open a can that, that they can't open, right? And next time you're in a situation like that, see if you can just be present for that experience without trying to reach for the can and open it for them. Right? When we do that, that's a reactive pattern. We're then trying to help them because it's uncomfortable for us to watch them struggle. Now, I don't know about you all, but for myself, if I've been in a, a situation that I'm struggling with and somebody tries to help me out of their own discomfort, generally that help is pretty ill-given. Generally that help doesn't match my situation all that well. Because they're really giving uh, that advice or that help uh, might be out of the best intentions. Really, I, I really 
feel that it, it would be out of the best intentions. It often is. But you know that saying, right? The road to hell is paved with good intentions. And so if somebody is falling into a reactive pattern or if we're holding space for somebody in their struggle and we try to help them because we're uncomfortable with the, the pain that they're feeling, oftentimes the help that we give will be not, not addressing the situation appropriately. It would be addressing the situation as if we were in their shoes. But we're not them. We're bringing a totally a different mindset and a different set of circumstances to the table than they are. So compassion really allows us to be in the present moment, holding space for another person's pain. And here, here we're really getting into that uh, comparing and contrasting empathy with compassion. Because empathy allows us to feel into another person's pain, another person's suffering, and that's great. That's kind of the, the doorway into compassion, when we can really empathize <laughs> with another person's plight. Uh, it allows us to be more compassionate. Absolutely, nothing wrong with that. But empathy without compassion can really, you know, take people into a dangerous place. Because uh, if you don't have the skill, if you don't have the present moment awareness, if you don't have the capacity for compassion, when you're feeling that person's struggle, often it's very easy to fall into a reactive pattern to how we would respond to that situation. So empathy without compassion is, you know, can be quite uh, harmful, in fact. Compassion without empathy is a little bit, you know, a little bit favorable to that because at least the person can hold space. You might not, you might not be able to empathize, empathize with a person's situation, but at least you, you know what struggle feels like. The human condition, we all know what struggle feels like. So at least we can feel into, you know, our own struggle when we're in the company of another person's struggle, right? We all know what it feels like to wish the present moment to be different than what it is. We all have that. And so knowing that, feeling into that is the root of compassion. It's also the root of empathy. But they diverge pretty quickly after that root. And there's actually uh, neurological studies that have been done on the difference between empathy and compassion that are really telling. Uh, because these brain scan studies that have been done quite recently show that when somebody is experiencing empathy, uh, the brain lights up in a very similar way to a feeling of pain or a feeling of uh, depression or even despair. Uh, the brain lights up in a very similar way. So that illustrates the fact that empathy is in fact a negative emotional state, right? Because we're really then feeling that other person's struggle as if it were our own. But we don't have the compassion, we don't have the skill 
to be able to really effectively alleviate that experience. And the brain recognizes that, as is illustrated in all, in all of these uh, new brain scan studies that are, are revealing this, or that are coming out nowadays. Uh, as opposed to the brain scans of compassion, that, this is quite remarkable. When people are in the brain scanner and they're feeling a, an experience of compassion, their brain lights up in the same areas uh, as kindness, as uh, connection, as joy, of equanimity, uh, and so, and connection, actually, this feeling of connectivity, which is right, quite important uh, for the experience of compassion or for holding space for another. So the experience of compassion, as opposed to empathy, which is a negative brain state, the experience of compassion reveals a positive brain state in these, in these tests that have been done. So there we can really clearly see, and we have the science to back it, uh, that empathy, you know, if you're feeling empathy towards somebody who's in struggle, uh, you might get that uh, empath exhaustion, I, I think the term is, right? Whereas if you're holding space for another, you can tap into that, that connectivity, that equanimity, that sense of joy, and it really fuels one. And this is great uh, practice for people who are on the front line these days, uh, you know, dealing in hospitals with the COVID crisis, or if you're a therapist or a counselor or a meditation teacher, uh, having this ability to continue to be with people throughout the days and weeks, people who are struggling, people who are really um, in a state of suffering. Compassion is much less likely uh, to uh, allow you to become exhausted because it has this regenerative quality of joy, of loving kindness, of connection and equanimity and so forth. So another reason why that's really, really powerful uh, is to practice compassion. Okay, I think I've run that one as far as I will today. Uh, that could be a whole topic in and of itself. But I did get uh, another question. I, as I said, I got several questions, but I, I really only made time for two today because I really like to use these questions as a platform to take a deep dive into a particular topic, as you might have noticed. So the second question I got, uh, great question, love this question. Uh, you spoke a lot about how to deal with anger when it arises as a result of practicing compassion. I think the questioner here is, is referring to the uh, practices on forgiveness. Uh, that's just one of the ways of working with anger. But um, yeah, I did. I, I, I gave two sessions, complete sessions, on practicing forgiveness uh, with anger. So the questioner goes on to ask, how does one work with a different reactive emotion such as pain or fear? Great question. So uh, compassion also can work well uh, with pain and or fear. So how that would work is if uh, we're feeling, uh, well, let's go with uh, fear. Pain, pain is actually kind of obvious, right? And that's what we're doing here. When we're feeling emotional pain or physical pain, 
the idea is to, to have that compassionate heart with that pain, whether it's emotional pain, physical pain, spiritual pain. Uh, as the great uh, Zen master says, to hold that pain as if uh, a mother holding a newborn baby in her arms, to hold that pain. Now, if you really think, I mean, it sounds like beautiful poetry, right? <laughs> but think about like the last time you stubbed your toe or, or the last time you, you know, did something, you know, had an accident that you were in some serious physical pain or even just mild physical pain. Right, the knee-jerk reaction to that, well, let's use the example of stubbing our toe, right? You get up in the middle of the night, you go to the bathroom, and you kick the wall or whatever it is, ow, right? Immediately, fill foul, foul, fill foul. How did I do that? How could I be so careless? I should have turned on the light, right? We start cursing the situation, right? We fall into that anger or that aversion to, to that pain that's arising, right? So think about how different that is and how counterintuitive it is if you were actually to get up in the middle of the night, go to the bathroom, stub your toe, and actually turn and hold that pain with the heart of compassion. And so because that is so counterintuitive, that's why we do all of these practices. That's why there are meditations designed to allow us to cultivate this skill because it is completely against the grain of, of our habitual tendencies. That's why it's important to actually take up practices of compassion and learn how to do it in a very visceral way rather than simply hearing talks about it or reading a book. Uh, but that, to actually go through the process of practicing these practices so that we can, when we stub our toe or break our ankle or get the phone call that we we're hoping we would never get. You know, life will provide us ample opportunities to practice with pain. Guaranteed. Eventually, something happens. And so if we take the time while we're healthy or while we're able, while we have the resources to cultivate practices of compassion, when we get that phone call or when we break that ankle, we, can, we now have the skill to turn and hold that physical pain, that emotional pain, in the space of compassion. So very healing, it's so very healing. In fact, there are studies done, these are great, by the way, studies done uh, with a person who had two wounds, and the person gave compassion or held one wound in compassion and, and totally neglected the other wound the other part of the body. The wound, of course, you can kind of guess where I'm going. The wound that received the compassion healed almost twice as fast as the wound that was neglected. So we, we now have studies that reveal how powerful these practices can be. Now the questioner also mentioned fear. And so, of course, compassion can be used with fear. That's, you know, not directly the medicine, though. Traditionally, the, the medicine for fear is loving-kindness. In fact, one of the first ways that loving-kindness is introduced in the Buddhist tradition is the Buddha uh, 
instructing monks to go meditate in the forest. And, you know, it's a, it's a large group of monks, maybe hundreds. And they go into this forest, but that forest that, that the Buddha uh, sent them to uh, was rumored to be haunted by tree spirits. And so the, the monks all returned very quickly. And they said, oh, we can't meditate there. You know, we're too scared. You know, let us meditate somewhere else. Or let us meditate with you. And uh, that will alleviate our fear. The Buddha said, no, go back, go back to that forest, but do the practices of loving kindness. Send loving kindness to anything that you're scared of. And that will alleviate the fear. And sure enough, the monks went out into the forest and they started sending loving kindness to the tree spirits. And the tree spirits then welcomed them with open arms. They actually protected them. And that is kind of illustrating uh, the transformative qualities of loving-kindness. Now, I don't want to go too into uh, the practices of loving-kindness here today. I did a whole series of loving-kindness at the beginning of the year, uh, well, back in December and January. So if you're curious about loving-kindness, uh, go visit those episodes. They're all available on my YouTube channel, and quite a few are available on the website as well. So if you're curious about loving-kindness, uh, visit the website. Now, there's actually, uh, you know, due to these great, great neurological studies that have been coming out recently, um, there's a whole grid that I'll be providing. If you sign up for the Compassion Retreat that uh, starts next week, there's a whole grid of reactive emotions and their corresponding practices so we have the illness and we have the proper medicine. We have the illness and the proper medicine. For example, uh, the reactive emotions of worried or tense or stress or helpless or feeling pushed upon. Uh, the corresponding meditations are meditations on protection, safety, relaxation, strength, agency, and so forth. And so there's a, quite a, a, a comprehensive list of reactive emotions and targeted meditation practices, uh, but they all really fall under the umbrella of compassion, right? Because at the end of the day, the reason why we would uh, go into a meditation practice uh, like that is because we're struggling. We want to be free from that struggle. And that brings us right back to that, to the very beginning of today's talk, Compassion is the struggle and the desire to be free from that struggle, or suffering and the desire to be free from suffering. And so all of these practices fall under the umbrella of compassion like that. So I hope that was uh, thorough enough to answer the questions that I addressed today. Again. If you do have any questions about these meditations, about compassion or loving kindness or any meditation practice, uh, feel free to message me here either underneath the video or send them to me through a private messenger. Or you can email me through the website. Again, the website is suchsweetthunder.org. And feel free to visit the website. There's all kinds of free resources there, guided meditations, uh, uh, writings, poetry. Uh, all kinds of uh, stuff that's easily accessible 
uh, that can support you in your practice, either a beginning practice or an advanced practice. So have fun with that. So that's all I'm going to say today. Uh, I will be back on Friday morning or Thursday evening, depending on where you are tuning in. Uh, and that will be the last session of this series, and it leads right up to uh, the kickoff of the uh, online meditation retreat into compassion. Again, all of that information is on the website. If you wish to register for the retreat, I welcome you. I think there are a couple of uh, open spaces left uh, before I go into the wait list. So uh, if you're thinking about it, hemming and hawing, come on in and I welcome you on board uh, the, uh, the voyage into compassion. Have a great weekend, uh, have a great week, <laughs> and I will see you at the next uh, session.